Amen. It's a good day. Welcome to High Point. My name is Andy. I'm the lead pastor here, and this, that video behind me, is what we get to be part of. And I say that we get to because I, I truly find it a privilege to get to labor alongside not only, not only you, but alongside men and women around the world all believing the same things that I do, believing for their cities to be changed by the power of Jesus. I find that amazing. People that don't look like me, people that don't talk the same language as me, you're believing for the same thing. I love that. Ah, oh, man, it gets me pumped. Uh, much like Davis, who was up here. I, I sometimes just, I sit back and I say to myself, I can't believe I get to do this. And it really is a privilege. And I'm thankful for you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you, church. I want you to know that. I'm proud to be your pastor, but I'm also proud of things like every, every tag on that giving tree being taken. You know what? I have a pride in that that I take. I love that you're being generous and that you're thinking about somebody else. I love that. Let's continue to do that this, this entire Christmas season, but also even being looking at 2019, how can God use you to make a difference? We've got some exciting opportunities that are going to be coming up. But before we get to any of that, we're starting a brand new series today. The original Christmas classic. Now, people have probably said Happy Thanksgiving to you, and I don't know if anybody has actually said Merry Christmas yet. But I would like to officially be the first. If no one has said Merry Christmas, let me begin by saying Merry Christmas to you. I happen to know, even though I, I can get excited up here, and a lot of the people on the microphone this morning, have a, a, we have personalities, right, that are sometimes loud or boisterous, and sometimes that can communicate something to someone who doesn't live that way, whose personality does not function that way. And sometimes in church, where we, we talk about God's goodness and His grace and how amazing He is, but we don't oftentimes talk about how painful the holidays can be for people which the holidays for a lot of folks are very hard. Thanksgiving and Christmas in particular, two of the most difficult. And the reality is that, that uh, if you've lost a loved one or if you experienced something painful, well, it's those holiday moments that accentuate that pain and remind you of what you don't have. No one knows that better than me. I lost my father about 14 years ago, the day after Thanksgiving of a heart attack. And it was very hard. And even though I love Thanksgiving, and I do, if you, I mean, if you've been to my house for Thanksgiving before, some of you have, it's a party. You know, we're watching football. There's more food than we know what to do with. You know, we're music, we're laughing, we're talking trash. It's a good time. But there's also a measure of sorrow that most people don't realize is also inside of my heart because I miss my dad. And it, I'm reminded of what I no longer have in that moment. And so over the holidays, for me, I have to intentionally anchor myself in who God is. I have to remind myself of God's faithfulness, more so than I actually normally do. I remind myself of who Jesus is, his relationship with me and my relationship with him. I have to anchor myself in God. Now, I'll tell you this, if you've, ever seen a, if you've ever seen an ice climbing movie or like a, you know, an Everest, a, a movie where people are trying to peak a really high mountain, there's always cliffs and there's generally ice involved, right? Cliffhanger with Sylvester Stallone, only one of the greatest movies of the 80s, maybe early 90s, I don't know. But there's always this moment where people have all their Arctic gear on, right? And they're climbing up the mountain. And they've got their snow boots on with the little spikes on the front that are kicking in to the snow so that they've got grip and all the things that you would need to, to summit and peak this mountain. But there's always a moment in the movie where someone loses their footing. And they're sliding down this icy incline. You know what I'm talking about. And the, the, the camera pans. And what's at the end? A cliff. And they're getting ready to fall off this cliff. And at the last moment, what are the, what, every single time, what happens? Somebody pulls out that ice pick, right? And they smash it down into the ground. 
and they're like dangling on the cliff, right, with this, this ice pick doing nothing. Everything is holding them in place by this one little tool that is jammed into the ice. It's always kind of a tense moment in the movies. It's actually enjoyable if you like thrillers. But it's actually a great picture of what spiritually we need to do on a regular basis, none more so than the holidays, but we need to be anchored in who God is. We need to take that spiritual ice pick, so to speak, and jam it into the ice, jam it into to, to what we know about God, the scriptures, and be reminded of who he is. You may not be moving back and forth uh, because of pain over the holidays, but you might be dealing with loneliness. You might be dealing with discouragement or depression or reflecting on a life and things aren't quite where you want them to be. The end of the year is always the time where you look back and you look at your life and you wonder, okay, what's the next year going to be like? And was this year as satisfying and fulfilling as I hoped it was going to be? Or maybe you're dealing with something totally different. It's consumerism is kind of having its way in your heart heading into the holidays. Oh, and you know what I mean. When, when I talk about anchoring yourself in who God is, there's that, that urge, is there not? It's Black Friday. I mean, you've got to go spend money somewhere or something's wrong with you. You've got to be looking on Amazon or, or taking advantage of free shipping. I mean, we're crazy not to, right? And, and, and so you're looking to spend money and you're looking to acquire things. And yet when it's all said and done, the next year rolls around and, and there's more acquiring to do. And there's more sales to take advantage of. Why? Why is it that we're never satisfied? Because you can never truly be satisfied by getting more stuff. By the way, there's nothing wrong with shopping on Black Friday. I love it all. But understand that there is something that happens, especially in the West, where we try to fill our hearts by buying things. We do it. We do it all the time. And it will never satisfy you. And so what you need to do is throw yourself into who God is, and be anchored in Him. And so in just a few moments, we're going we're gonna to begin this journey. I've got some movie clips I'm going to show you from one of my favorite Christmas films. It's going to function as a modern-day parable for you. Even when we talk about the holidays, what do people do? I mean, we read some of the same Christmas books. You might have the Polar Express that you're reading or to your kids maybe that you're reading or maybe you have holiday films that you everybody watches and maybe it's a traditional thing for you. But I'll, rem I'll, I'll tell you this, that most of the movies that we go back to around the holidays, mine is a couple comedies. There's something about these older movies and these older Christmas films that actually remind us of a greater story. It's why we end up going back to them and not these newer pop culture Christmas films. You watch some of these older films and it reminds you that there's a life bigger and better out there than just acquiring things. The Hallmark Channel appeals to so many people because after every single movie that ends the exact same way, every single time, you're reminded about qualities of life that really matter, that we long for, and oftentimes live without. Love, sacrifice, the life of simplicity that's just done in service to one another with no strings attached. We watch these movies and we think, oh, Christmas is such a magical time. And in a sense, it is. But understand that magical quality that you're talking about is actually just tying in to a story that has been around for thousands of years. And it is the story, the ultimate story, the one true story, the story of Jesus. And the things that you love about these stories over here oftentimes are a shadow of the one true story, the one true story classic. And so this morning, what we're going to begin to do over the next couple weeks is anchor ourselves in the story of Jesus. It's a story most of you have heard probably numerous times. And that's okay. You need to hear it again and be reminded of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. 
Amen. Father, be with us as we open your word and we, as we immerse ourselves into, uh, Lord, the, the, the scriptures and prayer, as we refresh our minds and our souls and who you are, God, let us be reminded of what this season is all about, the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25. We're going to take it from the top. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Surprise! Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, I lost my place. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Raise your hand if you've heard the story of Jesus' birth before. Go on. I know. We're doing the Christian-y thing for a second. That's like 99.9% of you. If you haven't, buckle up, right? Because if you're reading this for the first time, there are a lot of things that are probably standing out to you right now as crazy. And we forget how nuts this story is if you're hearing it for the first time. Or better yet, if you were living it, this would be bananas, okay? But I want to call attention to something that Isaiah prophesied a thousand or so years before Jesus was ever born. He said that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Meaning he, his life will be referred to as such. He wasn't declaring what his actual name would be. His name was going to be Jesus. But they would still call him by the very actions that, that, that dominated his life. And the word Emmanuel means God with us. God is with you. I don't know if you know that or not. But sometimes we, 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 we get so used to the churchy things and we know the right things to say and the right things to do and the, the way to sing the songs and the way to respond in the message. But what you need to be reminded of this morning, that in the intimate affairs of your life, God is with you. And you are not alone. Do you know that this morning? We're going to take, you know what, say that out loud. Let's, let's take it a step further because there's, there's something about saying the, these words out loud to yourself. Don't just, don't whisper it here for a second and don't just say it in your brain. Say it out loud. Say, God is with me and I am not alone. One more time. God is with me and I am not alone. Boy, sometimes you need to just look in the mirror and tell yourself that. That you are not alone and that God is with you. Christmas reminds us of these very, well, these two truths. As we prepare to watch this movie clip, it's going to illustrate something for us. I've got a couple of illustrations for us. One of them is a fictional character of a modern-day parable of one of my favorite Christmas films. And it's illustrating a truth, and it is not going to wow you. You are not going to be impressed by the special effects from the 1940s. 
I promise you. In fact, it is such an old film that you're, you're going to hear a lot of buzz in this speaker, and I apologize for it. I did my best to, to ditch and get rid of the buzz for you. I couldn't do it. But you know what? It's still worth watching. And then maybe sometime this Christmas holiday season, you can watch it on your own. But it's from It's a Wonderful Life. And George Bailey is the name of this character. And the movie starts out not with, with painting on George Bailey, but, but actually hearing people praying for George Bailey. That's how the movie begins. It begins by you hearing the prayers of people on behalf of a man named George Bailey who's going through a very difficult time. In fact, it's so difficult that George Bailey is on the verge of taking his own life. Those are the dire straits that he's in. But as you will find out shortly, God is with him, and he is not alone. Roll that first clip for us. everything to George Bailey. Help him, dear father. Joseph, Jesus, and Mary, help my friend, Mr. Bailey. Help my son, George, tonight. He never thinks about himself, God. That's why he's in trouble. George is a good guy. Give him a break, God. I love him, dear Lord. Watch over him tonight. Please, God, something's the matter with Daddy. Hello, Joseph. Trouble? Looks like we'll have to send someone down. A lot of people asking for help for a man named George Bailey. George Bailey? Yes, tonight's his crucial night. You're right. We'll have to send someone down immediately. Were those special effects not amazing? <laughs> the cloud that's just lighting up, it's God, and God is sending his angel Clarence down, if you are familiar with the story. If you're not, you have some Christmas homework to do this holiday season, and it's to watch It's a Wonderful Life. I promise you, it's worth it. But I, I, I'm getting at this because I want to remind you of something, and it's a truth that we see over and over again in Scripture that even Jesus himself teaches us and preaches us, and that's that when we ask and when we pray, God hears us. And I love that the, the, a movie that was not a hit in the theaters, by the way. It became one of those hits and it snowballed later on as it was played on television. But we see the movie and film beginning with people praying on behalf of George Bailey. And every single thing that George experiences in this film ultimately is tied back to the fact that someone was praying for him. And I want to remind you for this Christmas to be a person that's praying, not just for yourself, but for others. Jesus reminds us of this uh, in the New Testament, he says that a widow goes before a judge. I don't know if you remember the parable. A widow goes before a judge, and the judge isn't known for being godly or righteous. He isn't, there, there's nothing about him that we know that somehow he's, you know, reveres God or anything like that. Jesus points out this parable that this widow who goes before the judge relentlessly, she continues to ask him and continues to seek justice. And because she continued to ask, God, or excuse me, the judge moves on her behalf. Now, the parable isn't designed to illustrate that God is somehow like the judge in character, but that the power of asking and the power of praying and the power of seeking, that eventually you're going to see God move. Don't give up and don't quit. I love what happens in Acts chapter 12. King Herod Agrippa has imprisoned Peter. This is after Jesus has died and the apostles are getting persecuted. Disciples are being murdered and being executed on behalf of their love of Jesus, their following of Jesus. And Peter is in prison and he is surrounded by guards on every single side. 
He's shackled. He's got guards outside the walls, and he's got guards inside the walls. And we read the account that an angel appears inside the prison. And actually, the, the word, <laughs> getting tied in my tongue. The words remind us of someone that would be basically kicking someone awake. This angel is just getting Peter's attention. Hey, get up. Come on, dude. And he opens the gate, unties or un, unlocks the shackles, and Peter walks out. And he walks to the house where the disciples were gathering, and he finds something very interesting happening at that very moment. You can probably imagine what it was. The church was praying. In fact, someone had to come open the door, and they were so startled by what they saw that they ran back to the group who was, had been praying for Peter. In fact, the words were exactly, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. God is with you. He's for you. You are not alone. We focus on the miracles so much, and oftentimes we, we don't pay attention to what produced the miracle in the first place. Now, ultimately, it's God, but it's people who are crying out to God for him to move. Are you with me this morning? Are you alive today? You feeling this? Uh, I get it. Okay, Andy, you're, you're reminding us to pray. Thank you. What a great sermon to remind me to pray. I'm going to leave here. I'm going to go pray, and I'll pray before I eat my tacos at La Bamba, and we'll pray before the kids go to bed, and I'll pray before my tests. Like, okay, I'll be a, a prayerful person again, and, and, and maybe the quality of my life will change, but the reality is many of us have prayed a prayer a time or two, and it doesn't always feel like God just shows up and an angel appears in your house and unlocks the shackles. It doesn't just make the marriage perfect immediately. So what are we supposed to do when we don't feel like God is present? Because that's the situation that we find George Bailey in. And it's one of the reasons he ends up standing on a bridge ready to take his own life. Because he doesn't see God and he does not feel God. And he's wondering where on earth God is moving in his life. And God, are you even there? And God, do you even hear me? Where are you? So in the beginning of the movie, we see people praying for him. And then you kind of have the clock rewind. And there's this interesting thing that happens for George. He's a man with dreams, and he's a man with, with a mission, and he's a man that, that is excited about what the future holds. He's got that young naivety. It's pain-free living up to this point. And something is about to happen that's going to test his faith. And it's going to tie us into scripture here in a second. Roll the second clip as we see the, the, the dreams that George Bailey has. I suppose you've decided what you want to do when you get out of college. Oh, well, you know what I've always talked about. Build things. Design new buildings, plan modern cities. All that stuff I can talk Still about. after that first minute? I know it's soon to talk about it. No, not Pop. I, I couldn't. I, uh, I couldn't face being cooped up for the rest of my life in a shabby little office. No, oh, I'm sorry, Pop. I didn't mean that. I, but I, it, it's this business of nickels and dimes and spending all your life trying to figure out how to save three cents and like the pipe. I go crazy. I, I want to do something big and something important. You know, George, I feel that in a small way we are doing something important satisfying a fundamental urge. It's deep in the race for a man to want his own roof and walls and fireplace. And we're helping him get those things in our shabby little office. I know, Bob. I, I know that. I, I, I wish I felt that uh, I, I've been hoarding pennies like a miser here in order to... Most of my friends have already finished college. I, I just feel like if I didn't get away, I'd bust. 
Jerry, I know what I'm going to do tomorrow and the next day and next year and the year after that. I'm shaking the dust of this crummy little town off my feet and I'm going to see the world. Italy, Greece, the Parthenon, the Colosseum. Then I'm coming back here and go to college and see what they know. And then I'm going to build things. I'm going to build airfields. I'm going to build skyscrapers a hundred stories high. I'm going to build bridges a mile long. Were you going to throw a rock? Hey, that's pretty good. What'd you wish, Mary? All right. I realize you're, you might be thinking, how does this all connect? Because we're talking about God being with us. And we're progressing through this conversation of what oftentimes leads us to feel like God is not with us. And It's a Wonderful Life is such a great picture of this. And if I can speak to this, it's something that Westerners in particular wrestle with on a day-in and day-out basis. And it's this idea of feeling significant, of having a wonderful life, so to speak. And here is George Bailey talking about all the things that he wants to do with his life. He has dreams. He's got ambitions. He's going to build things. He's going to build modern towns. He's going to go to college. He's going to see the Parthenon. He's going to go to Greece. He's going to travel the world. That's what he's going to do. And yet, in the next scene, what you're going to find is that his dad has passed away. He died of a heart attack. And George has to make this decision of letting his dream go in order to do what was the right thing. He sacrificed his dreams to keep the building and loan open, which serviced loans basically to poor people so that they could be living in a house. And it's not what he wanted to do. In fact, he described it as this cooped up in this shabby little office, right? And so he lets go of his dream in this moment. But it's not the only dream that, that he lets go of. He, 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 he takes his college money, and he ends up giving it to his younger brother. His younger brother goes on to go to college, and his younger brother goes on to make the fortune. And his younger brother goes on to travel the world. And so the dream, not only did the dream not come to pass in his own life, he saw the dream that he had come to pass in someone else's life. How many of you know that it's so difficult at times when that thing that you're asking God for, that you're praying for, that you're standing on, that you're expecting, that you're dreaming, and it doesn't come to pass in your life, but you see it coming to pass in somebody else's, what can happen in your own heart is you can grow resentful. And if there's ever a thing that people wrestle with heading into the holidays, holidays is bitterness and it's resentment. Now let me ask you this. Joseph, you think Joseph had dreams? as in Jesus' adoptive father. You think he had dreams? We're going to get to Jesus, make no mistake about it, but I want to look at the characters around Jesus heading into the holidays as well. Joseph, God's chosen instrument to raise his son. This is an amazing gift to be given to someone. But make no mistake about it, it begins with angels appearing to Joseph. Actually, even before that, it, it begins with Mary going to Joseph and saying, I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Okay. Now, Joseph has had a dream, and that dream is to marry this girl. And in a moment, that dream is crashing down because he knows he didn't sleep with this girl. And anybody who comes and says, God did it, is crazy. And so what's he doing? He's backing out of this thing. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get to I'm We're going to just end this quietly. And yet God appears to him in a dream 
And the dream, the dream is terrifying. It's an angel appearing to him. Which, by the way, most of the time when angels appear in, to, in the scriptures, people are terrified. Yes, it's a good thing, but it's also a frightening thing. And Joseph is scared out of his wits initially. See, Joseph had dreams, and Joseph had ambitions, and Joseph had to take his young family. He wasn't able to, 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 to I mean, he didn't have a child initially that was his own actual flesh and blood. And he packs up Mary, and they travel to Bethlehem. Wasn't planning to have a baby in an inn. And then wasn't planning to be woken up again by an angel and told to move to Egypt all in, an or, in order to spare your son's life. All these things, these were unplanned. This wasn't what he had, had marked on his five-year journal. This isn't what he was planning for or banking on. What about the family business? What about family members that he's having to say goodbye to? We don't think about all the things that Joseph let go of when he answered Jesus, or when, excuse me, when he answered the call of God and said, yes. We don't think about it. But Joseph did. And I would imagine that there was some secret disappointment in his heart. See, everything gets glossed over in our beautiful nativities and all the fun things that we do around Christmas, but make no mistake about it, this is a gritty story of Jesus coming to the world for those who felt like God had abandoned them and that no longer heard them and didn't care about them. Matthew 26, Jesus says it like this, and I love that he had a father, an earthly father who modeled it. 24 through 26, Jesus says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? When I imagine following God and God's plans for me, you know what I think of? I think of getting married and having kids. I think of having success in my career to the point of retiring around 60, 65, and then kind of settling in to being a grandparent. Yet, if you're not careful, what you're really buying into isn't God's plan necessarily, but the American dream. And we sign off on the American dream thinking that this must be God's will and that this is God's plan and any kind of suffering or anything that's difficult surely cannot be God. And that simply isn't the case. Now hear me, praying for God to bring blessing to your life, that's a good thing. Praying for the comforts of the world, you know, to be bestowed upon you, that's not a terrible thing. You can pray for that. You can ask for that. But when that becomes preeminent and when that becomes the ultimate, then you have a difficult time, I promise you, discerning what's God's will and what is not. See, most people want Jesus to be their life coach rather than their Lord. They want somebody to get advice from rather than someone who is actually calling the shots on the throne of their heart. And that's what we need. And when you surrender that to God, when you truly give that up to him, he might take you in a course and in a direction that's different than the dreams that you had for yourself. You might find yourself looking around wondering, how am I here? This isn't what I had planned. And there might even be a measure of sorrow, wondering, is my life significant? It seems like the things that I'm doing, I'm not planning, I'm not building the big cities that I had imagined in my mind. I'm not making the impact that I, I thought I was going to do. I was going to do these giant things and, and, and make this massive world difference and be rich or be famous or be a celebrity or be my own boss or be married or have four kids by now, or dot, dot, dot. Yet you might actually be doing exactly what God wants you to be doing. 
Can we trust that God knows what's best for us? Can we do that? Can we trust that God's dreams for us are better than our dreams for us? Because if there's anything that I catch immediately when I read the story of Jesus coming into the world, the first thing I think of, yes, Jesus coming for the sins of mankind. Yes, God being with us. But I think of God being with Joseph because as a man, I know he had dreams. And those dreams and those ambitions and those things he had imagined immediately got surrendered to God. Got one more clip here because, well, I'll even just describe it to you. George Bailey, he follows the path laid out for him, like many of you have. How many of you are in a different place than you thought you were going to be at the end of 2018? How many of you thought at 2018 that this is where you would be? Raise your hand. Very few of you. Okay, one or two. I'm impressed. Well done. Well played. Okay? Very few of you, all right, are, are where you thought you were going to be. Some of you are pregnant and didn't think you were going to be pregnant. Some of you are not pregnant and wish that you were. Some of you do not have the job that you thought you were going to have. Some of you are living in a city and you can't for the life of you understand how you ended up here or how you're not somewhere else. All these variables and things that change or haven't changed for you. And George Bailey follows the path laid out for him. But you know what has happened in him? While he has sacrificed the dream for the sake of the greater good, there is resentment that has still grown in his heart. If there's anything that I see and anything that I have to guard my own heart against, it's doing it in form, yet having resentment still growing and brewing in my heart despising the path that God has laid out for me, despising where I am, despising my city, despising my town, despising my, my church, despising my family, despising my lack of, despising my this, and we resent where God has brought us, and we resent what God has, where he has taken us. Can you identify with this this morning? Rather than understanding the joy set before you, rather than joy and peace growing in your heart, resentment and bitterness grow in our heart. So much so that George Bailey, he put so much stock in living what he thought was a significant life that a tragedy occurs on Christmas Eve, and it's just the last straw for him. And he is at the place of deciding, God, should I just take my life? My life clearly is so insignificant. Yet what he didn't realize is that the path that God had laid out for him had created the most significance in other people's lives. But he didn't see it. He didn't understand it. He didn't know it because he wasn't really trusting God in the process. So he does something that we can all take a lesson from in this next clip. Go ahead and roll it. Yeah, Merry Christmas! Glad you come. How about some of that good spaghetti? We got everything.
love it so much. God, I'm at the end of my rope. Would you show me the way? See, when you're minded of the very beginning that Jesus will be called Emmanuel, he is God with us. And then you see people praying on behalf of George Bailey. And you know what he does? God sends an angel on his behalf. And by the end of the movie, you see George having this moment where he's gripped with really a measure of repentance. God, I'm not a praying man, but you know what? I'm praying right now. Would you show me the way? And you can see the tears in his eyes. And God gives him a revelation of what it really looks like to live for God and to trust his plan and his path. And one of the most famous scenes in all of kind of black and white cinema history is, is this revelation that he finally gets. His life hasn't changed. He might even be going to prison. He doesn't even know yet. I won't spoil all the details for you because you've got to watch this movie on your own. But he starts running through the streets and he's singing Merry Christmas and he's shouting Merry Christmas because he finally gets it. He finally understands what it means to surrender to God and to find joy in the process. And when I read the story of Jesus coming to earth, Emmanuel, God with us, you know what we need more than anything is we need that heart transformation that George had. That's what we need. God with us. But the other name for Jesus is Jesus, which means Savior. He saves us from our sins. There's a story where, where a man is being lowered through the roof to get to Jesus. They literally are ripping a roof apart to lower a man who's paralyzed and can't walk. And the man, as the man gets lowered before Jesus, Jesus looks at the man and he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. What? I didn't come for that. That's not why we're here. I'm here because I'm paralyzed and I can't walk and I know you can do something about it. But Jesus reminds us that it's, it's not the circumstances on the outside that have to be changed for your heart to be made right. And that's what is so amazing about It's a Wonderful Life in this story is that we see what transformation looks like. We also see what a, a, a Joseph, the father of Jesus, looks like uh, to be surrendered to God and follow the plan laid out for him. To do so with the joy set before him. And Jesus looks at this man, the, the man that's been lowered, and he says, son, your sins are forgiven. And there, there's questions that are happening, and people are surprised because it's what's on the inside that Jesus has to heal. Before we really experience the peace of God on the outside. And all of the consuming and all of the shopping and all of the addictions and all of the, the this and all of the that that we use to try to fill the hole in our heart. Well, Jesus came to save us from our sins. Mark, you can come out. Oh, there you are. Surprise. You snuck past me there like a ninja. This morning, what I wanted to do was start this moment of, of December, this moment of holiday craze, this moment of, of people filling their hearts with so many things other than the very thing that can actually change them. People being stuck in, in resentment and stuck in bitterness, stuck in the plans that, they, that God has brought them to, thinking that their life is insignificant, not understanding that a life surrendered to God and a heart given to God, a, a heart that is obedient to God is the most significant life that you will ever live. And it doesn't matter whether you are, are counting dimes as an accountant, whether you are a veterinarian, whether you are a college student, whether you are a stay-at-home mom. It doesn't matter what you do if your heart is surrendered to God. That is the only thing that ultimately matters. 
And that's where true significance comes. When God heals you on the inside and he sets you free from the sin, from the muck and the mire of what the world is offering you to give you peace. It's a rat race. It's the rat race that George Bailey finds himself on for so long until he finally comes to grips with a holy God. It's the rat race that Joseph could have found himself on had he fought God's plan for his life. Or if somehow he had fathered Jesus in resentment or bitterness over the life that he could have had. But think about it this way. There might have been some difficulty and there might have been some pain in the moment. But as is so often the case, when you're on the other side of it, have you ever heard people talk about how painful that was? But you know what, Pastor, I wouldn't trade it for anything now because of what it produced inside of me. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but I wouldn't trade it for anything because I'm not who I was. God's changed me. Joseph might have had to, he uprooted all of his plans that he had for family, for life, for marriage, changed it all. I'm sure that was not easy. I'm sure that was difficult. I'm sure there was the danger of growing resentful in his heart. And yet on the other side of that, guess what he got to do? He got to be the adopted dad of Jesus. Can you imagine that? This is my boy, Jesus. I get to be his dad. My son that I'm raising is going to save me from my sins. What a privilege. What an honor. What an amazing joy. Even if it didn't feel like it in the moment. Stand to your feet, church. been a little bit all over the place in my notes this morning. But I want you to remember this, that God is with you and that you are not alone. God is with you and you are not alone. And I also want you to be reminded that even when things aren't looking the way you want them to look. Trust God. Fight for joy in the midst of difficulty and in the midst of pain. Trust Him. His dreams for you are better than your dreams for you. His plans for you are greater than your plans for you. Trust Him in it. Trust Him in it. Trust Him in it. He is for you. And you are not alone. Father, be with us this morning. Lord, this Christmas season, God, I speak to the our church right here, and I'm asking that you'd minister to our hearts, or where there are people who have just been, it's, feel, it's felt like they're just clawing up a hill. God, chasing this thing, that job that will pay better, that job will, that will feel more satisfying. 
God, I pray that even as we we ask for you to guide us, Lord, let our relationship with you be preeminent. Let that be the ultimate thing that is the greatest thing in our life. Lord, that our definition, that our satisfaction, that our fulfillment does not come from what we do, but who we are and who you are. Lord, let that be the thing that satisfies us. Guard our hearts, Lord, as we live this life from bitterness, from resentment, God. Even as we experience pain, Lord, let us be reminded that you have not abandoned us. You have not forsaken us, Lord. But that you are with us. You are Emmanuel, the God who came and who walked this earth in the flesh to save us from our sin, Lord. And this morning, we thank you. If you're standing here this morning and you need just a, you need a fresh moment to hit reset, you're having a George Bailey kind of moment where your heart just feels like it's beating out of its chest and you're, you're wondering where God is and you're on the verge of tears and you're, you're, you just, you need God to show up. Would you pray this with me? Say, God, would you show up in my life? Would you show me the way? I surrender everything to you this morning. You are preeminent to everything in my life. You are my Lord. You are my boss. The king of my heart. And you are my savior today. setting me free that I may know you fully Amen My prayer this morning is and has been that God would that he would speak right to your heart even as I got lost in my notes today, that's okay, that happens. Man, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would act like a laser beam to you. That your focus would be on Jesus Christ. That His kingdom would be your highest priority. family before Jesus, your job before Jesus. You wouldn't try to find satisfaction or fulfillment in anything other than Jesus. Let all those other things fall where they need to fall. Pursue love and justice and righteousness. Those are good things. Love Jesus. Love Jesus as well.